everybody. Um, this is Mike the General Zod from Below the Belt Show, doing my best Skinner Sweet impersonation here at Baltimore Comic Con. And I am with an absolute legend in the industry. This is Bob McCloud, one of the co-creators, as it says back there, of the New Mutants. Which, I mean, of course, we're not limited to the New Mutants. He has done, uh, done great work with, like, G.I. Joe, and he... He uh, penciled one of the most famous Superman stories, and so it is an absolute pleasure to have um, to have you with us today. Thanks very much. And um, first of all, I'd like to ask, um, you know, because we, we can always talk about the New Mutants. That's like the most famous thing I think you're associated with. The um, what was it like, like working with, like, did you have a good rapport with, like, Chris Claremont in creating the characters, and uh, how much of it was Chris? How much of it was you? Chris was always very easy to work with. I worked with him on a, a few things before the New Mutants, and um, he's always very easy to work with. Um, we did a lot of back and forth over the telephone and in person, creating mm -hmm. the team of the New Mutants. He and the editor, Louise Simonson, uh, had already begun the process of uh, creating that book before they brought me on. Mm -hmm. So Chris had some character ideas and power ideas and um, needed someone to visualize them. Uh, but we kind of nailed down what they would look like when they used their powers, um, whether they would have... You know, team uniforms or individual costumes, all, all that stuff had to be decided. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, as far as their names, that's all Chris. As far as their what their powers would be is Chris. And then we kind of work together to take it from there. Okay, okay. And is it... Um a lot of times, especially since, you know, you're the creators of these characters, but then, you know, they become, you know, Marvel property, and then other creators go in their own uh, directions with these characters. Like, what is that like? Like, do you keep up with uh, what happens with those characters or anything like that? Absolutely not. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> After I uh, left the New Mutants, I didn't want to know what they were going to do with them because I knew it would be different than how I would have done it yeah. and I wouldn't necessarily be happy with the way they were having them look mm -hmm. um, which in retrospect is, is true I just I would have preferred to do it very differently mm -hmm. um, so you know it's their property I can't um, I don't have the right to really complain but right. I just as soon move on to other projects and, and let them do what they're going to do I mean when it comes to projects, do you stick more with like the the big two Marvel DC stuff, or do you do any creator own stuff? I tried moving away from Marvel and DC several times, and every time I did, I had trouble getting paid. <laughs> I see. So I always went back to Marvel and DC, where I knew I would get a paycheck. Yeah, gotcha. And luckily for me, they kept me busy uh, for my career, so uh, it worked out. Okay. Okay. Well, we can also talk about like you know your you know you were the you were the artist for the story that first uh, had Superman reveal his identity to Lois Lane, and uh, you know I was a, I was a little kid at the time when that came out, but it's like a, well I was in like middle school, so but I remember like it caused like there, it was a big deal. Like, uh, did you get like a lot of attention from that? 
Um, I was very honored to be able to be asked to draw that issue. There were two other uh, artists on Superman at the time who had been there longer than me, and uh, I don't know why they chose me to draw the issue, but I was very happy that they did mm -hmm. and excited by it. I did not get a lot of attention from it. Um, fan press wasn't quite as big then as it is now, and um, I was living down in Florida, mm -hmm. uh, not in New York where all the action was. Okay. Uh, well, actually, by then I had moved to Pennsylvania, but still not in New York. Um, so I didn't hear a lot. If there was a big uh, clamor among the fans, I, I wasn't aware of it. Um, and then I quickly, after that issue, I think just a few months later, I moved on to other projects. Okay, okay. Um, one more question. Um, you know, we'll go back to the New Mutants because uh, I do recall I read an article about like how you had you had some choice words to say about the movie that came out. <laughs> like, uh, well, when did it come out? Like two years ago, at least. It came out during COVID. Right. You're right. And um, of course, that was the worst time for a movie to come out. Nobody could go see it in the theater. Exactly. Um, but there's nothing of my contribution to the New Mutants in the movie. Mm -hmm. None of the characters looked the way that I created them to look. Mm -hmm. And then again, Magic looks exactly like she looks in the comics. And I had nothing to do with Magic. Right, so right. I just felt kind of uh, uh, ignored in the movie. There's, there's nothing uh, of, of anything that I contributed in the movie. I didn't think it was a bad movie. I didn't think it was a great movie. It's a, it's it's fine. Yeah, it's a popcorn film. Like, yeah. I mean, did you get any sort of? Um, I mean, it's always a question. Like, did you get any sort of comp compensation for Marvel? For? I got some money for it. Yeah. Okay, well yeah. that well that was good then. I had to get my lawyer to go back four times to Marvel to keep negotiating, but I I did get some money. Thanks. Oh. That's fantastic. That's really, and hopefully that's a trend that's continuing and is going to get, especially as more uh, more attention's drawn on, like you know, the creators, how you know. There's a lot of money in these movies. Yes, and I really do believe um, myself side. I think there's so many comic uh, creators who deserve some money from those movies uh, because the movies couldn't happen without them. And a lot of times they just get a little special thanks at the end of the movie and the credits, yeah. and that's it. So um, I don't know if it'll ever happen, but they, they deserve some money. Absolutely. Okay, well, thank you so much for your time. Oh, okay. One more question. And if the New Mutants are eventually introduced into the grander MCU, would you want them to be like a a reboot or I mean based on your comments about the um, the Fox movie I would imagine so yeah the Fox movie was not at all how I would have liked to seen them introduced to the public mm -hmm. because outside of the comic fans nobody knew who the New Mutants were right maybe still don't and <laughs> so I'd like to see more of an origin story in, mm -hmm. in the movie and introduce the characters to the public uh, in a better way um, I would love to see a reboot uh, by Marvel, but you know who knows if that's ever going to happen. <laughs> but we'll see. Okay. Keep on Taylor Joy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a big Anya Taylor Joy fan. 
Well, she's great. Yeah, yeah, I like her a lot too. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Mr. McLeod. It's been an absolute pleasure. I hope uh, you know the uh, the rest of Baltimore Comic Con works amazingly for you. And thanks again for being on Below the Belt Show. All right. Thanks very much. Hey everybody, this is Mike the General Zod at uh, Below the Belt Show, and we are here at Baltimore Comic Con, and we're going through talking to comic book creators, some legends, some who are current superstars, and we got a current superstar right now with Jean Wen Yang. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. Oh, fantastic. We're a huge fan of, I mean, this guy, I mean, he's uh, he wrote American Born Chinese, which is this amazing representation of like the immigrant experience and I as an immigrant it I, it really resonated with me Thank you. even Thank though you I'm so not much. Chinese but it's uh, and then also like moved on to doing like some amazing work in the big two in DC and Marvel like uh, he's currently doing Shang-Chi the um, the kind of like new uh, the new, uh, the new kind of like idea of, or the new representation of Shang-Chi, closer to the MCU version, I guess. It is, yeah, it's, it's definitely closer to the MCU yeah. version. Yeah, and, um, and so, like, you know, it's a, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, well, first of all, let me ask you, like, you know, I'll ask a general question about, like, what got you into the industry in the first place? Well, well, first, thank you again. Thank you again for taking the time to talk to me. I started reading comics when I was in the fifth grade. I went to a local bookstore with my mom. My mom bought me a copy of DC Comics Presents number 50 cent, 57 off of the, the bookshelf, uh-huh. off, of the, off of that spinner rack, and I've kind of been into comics ever since. So, isn't, it, isn't it kind of funny how we remember the exact yeah, issue? Like, I remember my first, one of my very first was Marvel Tales 143, and yeah. it, was, it was a Marvel team-up story with Spider-Man and Iron Fist. And, but, well, if we're here at a Comic-Con, and, yes. you know, as adults, something snapped in our heads, right? Exactly. Yeah, something exploded in our heads. And for, for me, it was that Superman comic. Um, yeah, it was it was Superman and the Atomic Knights in DC Comics Presents number fifty seven. <laughs> that is uh, that is wild. And, and pretty shortly after that, I started making comics of my own. So mm-hmm. that that was actually one of the things that really drew me to comics in the first place. Was this was like the eighties, right? And back then, you know, I knew I wanted to tell stories by drawing, and I knew that like cartoon shows on the television were telling stories with drawing, but I had no idea how to make those those drawings move. Mm-hmm. But a comic, I understood. I knew how to make a comic, and that's what I did. I started making comics with a friend of mine awesome. named Jeremy. Awesome, awesome. Are you still friends with Jeremy? I am still friends with Jeremy. He's not in comics anymore. <laughs> I was about he, to ask, is he a creator he's a, also? He's a re- radiologist. Yeah. He <laughs> oh, makes yeah. a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he... That's uh, very well for himself. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure his parents uh, his his parents probably have a different idea, at least uh, earlier, Like now that you're successful, but I'm sure your parents were a little bit in the Yo, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the beginning, in the yeah. beginning, when he was going to med school, I was self-publishing comics. Right. So it was very, very drastically different. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so from there, like you know, like 
like one of the really memorable runs that I loved of yours was the uh, the world's finest when you wrote the oh thank you so with much the, um, with that like alien filmmaker yeah yeah the archival worlds yeah yes, yeah yes and and that's the thing I, I uh, wanted to ask you especially since you started out doing your own independent creative stuff and you know at least uh, now I'm sure you're still doing some creative create your own projects yep. but but, but but you're you're doing also like some. Uh, I mean, do they still call it work for hire? I guess. Yeah, it's, it is work for hire. Like, uh, do you like what are the uh, what are the benefits and drawbacks between the two worlds? I mean, I, I think um, with work that you do in somebody else's universe, like in the Marvel or DC universe, or I've done Avatar comics for Avatar: The Last Airbender, uh -huh. you're um, working with like a pre-existing set of characters, a pre-existing world, a pre-existing magic system. So you don't have to set any of that stuff up. In a lot of ways, you can just dive into whatever story you want to tell. Right. Right. But but on the creator-owned side, um, the benefit is you just get way more control. It right. Is, it is more like... You have to figure out how to world build, mm -hmm. you know, uh, in, in a way that you don't necessarily have to in the Marvel or DC universes. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's but, very, um, very true. But but so there, I feel like there's benefits to both. Mm -hmm. Like, do you get um, like with the Marvel DC stuff? Do you have like? Is there a lot more like editorial influence that like? Do it they tell you? What it depends you have on the to... book. Okay. It definitely depends on the book. I, I have to say, for the two books that I'm working on right now. For Shang-Chi, for Marvel, and for Monkey Prince, for DC, mm -hmm. I feel like I've had a lot of creative elbow room. You okay. Know? And especially with like, with Monkey Prince, it's like me and Bernard and um, and Jessica Chen, yeah, uh, who's the editor. We're kind of like a team that's putting this together. You mm -hmm. know? It's, it's been a ton of fun. And, it, and does, I mean, does it feel good? That it's like representational of your culture. Yeah, absolutely. Like like uh, the the reason why Monkey Prince as a character is so close to our hearts is because all three of us are Chinese. Americans and we all grew up with tales of the Monkey King. Yeah. Oh. So it's 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 been a, a thrill. Yeah. Think. If I had any sort of like creative ability when it came to writing or drawing, I always wanted to make a Rustem story because I'm Persian. Uh -huh. And like Rustem is this like you know famous uh, like um, legendary Persian hero. But oh, cool. <laughs> so but so I can imagine doing Monkey Prince. That is <laughs> that that's kind of yeah yeah. It feels like that. It feels like we're taking stories that we heard from our parents when we were uh -huh. little. And, and sticking them into the DC universe. Yeah, and that could become like the um, defining way that that character is seen in pop culture. Similar like how Thor, like when everyone thinks of Thor, they think of the yeah, Marvel Comics yeah, Thor, not yeah. the not the legendary, not the legendary Thor. mythological yeah. one. So yeah, yeah. yeah so um, when you went to uh, like, what about with Shang Chi? Like, did you uh, like when you said you had like a lot of elbow room there? I mean, I guess. Did you just have to keep it, like, just make the character do certain things, like have the big rings instead of the... Yeah, um, so Shang-Chi, when, when I first, uh, you know, got brought onto that project, we knew that there was going to be the Shang-Chi movie. We didn't really have any details about the movie. Oh, okay. Uh, and we wanted to... Um, like, like Marvel wanted to have a book come out around the time that the movie was going to be released. Mm -hmm. But because we didn't have any details about the movie, we weren't, like, trying to match it. Oh, okay. Anything. Okay, so the, they, they didn't really tell you anything? They no, didn't spoil any of that? Anything. We knew, wow. What we knew was what the, the public knows. Okay. And, and even, even the thing that. with the big rings on his arms? I don't know if we... I don't think we knew that. Oh, I don't know if wow. we knew that. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, the the benefit of that is that we kind of got to play in our own little world, you know, mm -hmm. and um, and and Shang Chi as a character. Like he dates back to the 1970s. America yeah. was very different back very, then. Very some kind of problematic stories. Yeah, absolutely. There's there are definitely problematic elements. Right? Yeah. So what we had to talk about was, well, if we're gonna boil Shang Chi down to his essence mm -hmm. and then rebuild him in a way that, you know, is more fitting of the modern world, what what would that essence be? So what we landed on was he's just a dude with a lot of family issues. His dad is a supervillain. Right. Know? Right. Um, and how does he deal with those family issues? So we try to enhance that family, those family issues, by bringing in like a supporting cast of, of siblings. Mm -hmm. uh, and and to be honest, like, and a lot of that really did tie yeah. in with the movie. Yeah. That's why I thought you yeah. already knew about no, the story in the movie. No, that's what I was going to say. Is like, I feel like I feel like the people behind the movie kind of did the same thing. Uh -huh. You know, since then I've actually gotten to be. Uh, this is going to sound a little name droppy because it is. Of course, I've kind of gotten to be uh, friends with uh, Dustin Cretton, mm -hmm. the director of Shang Chi, because he's also working on. Uh, a television show that's based on my one of my books. Oh, cool! And and we've gotten to talk about it. And I think what they did was was very similar. Was what's the essence, and how do we build it up from the essence? Okay, okay. Um, it would be remiss for me to uh, uh, to not mention one of my favorite stories of the past like few years. I mean, it's it's a DC story, but the uh, when you wrote Superman smashes the clan. How did you get involved in that project? Well, thank you for reading it. Um, so that's actually a retelling of this really old. Yeah, story. I mean, I was I was actually familiar with oh, the, good, with good, the good. new with the history behind it, but it yeah. was like wild because you didn't like. I was at first expecting it to be like more of like a behind the scenes thing about the radio show and everything, yeah. but it wasn't. It, you you did a very straightforward story about adaptation. Yeah, we, we had talked about a version like that, uh -huh. and ultimately the project veered away from from that right it was gonna be a half fictional half real world story but ultimately it just became all a retelling of the original 1946 storyline you know it's called Clan of the Fiery Cross uh, it was on the the Superman radio show considered one of the most important Superman stories ever told but exactly. it's just never been told in comics so that's mm -hmm. what we wanted to do and and really the long and short of it is we pitched it to Marie Javins um, she said yes and we ran awesome awesome and finally, is there any uh, current projects that you want to uh, that you want to plug or announce or well, anything? Well, I'm I'm doing um, I have two projects coming up, both from First Second Books. One is a graphic novel based on the world of Clash Royale and Clash of Clans. I don't know if you've heard of those. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's yeah, like a, a video game, right? Yeah, it's a video game. And then the other one is a is a creator owned rom com graphic novel called awesome. Lunar Near Love Story. Nice, nice. Well, uh, Gene, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to talk to us. Yeah, uh, my pleasure. My yeah, pleasure. And uh, you know, read his books; they're fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you very much. Yeah, great. Hey, everybody! This is Mike the General Zod with Below the Belt Show, and we are at Baltimore Comic Con, and uh, always talking to comic book legends. And I have a comic book legend here with me right now. This is Howard Mackey. Howard Mackey, for anyone who read comics in the 90s, I mean, you could not avoid his work. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and, like, it was everywhere. Like, uh, when, I, when, I was, uh, when I was younger, there was a remake of Ghost Rider. Ghost Rider was completely unheard of for, uh, for a long time. I mean, and then this guy came up with a new idea for Ghost Rider, a new character, and it went huge. We're talking... Um, 
uh, hologram covers, that glow-in-the-dark thing, I remember, yep. and um, so... First of all, thank you for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. Although I'll take exception with the term legendary, it, it always implies old. <laughs> but so thank you so much. <laughs> well, you are you're you're. I mean, I've always kind of wondered, especially like when you're doing work for uh, Marvel or DC, where you're you know playing in a sandbox with other people's characters. Yep. Like how much of how much of those ideas are yours compared to like what's brought down by editorial. Well, it's, I will say, my understanding is it's different now than it was then. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I, I certainly I worked with the editor. I mean, it, and because I came from editorial, I started out as an, an editor on staff at Marvel, and the best thing to do is have a collaborative relationship with your creators. Mm -hmm. um, but the ideas were generated by, by the writers. That's, okay. When I was an editor, I wanted that because I was lazy. I didn't want to do their job. And then uh, as a writer, I preferred to do it that way. And I was given that leeway by the editors that I, I worked with. So I would say for the most part, the ideas were mine. But there were all, there's always fine-tuning and guidance from the, the good editors. Okay, so. okay. So, like, you know, since you were the uh, one of the chief writers of the Clone Saga, for example... Yes, indeed. Like, how much of that was your idea compared to, to Brought Down? Well, I will tell you, it, you know, and I tell everybody this, the Clone Saga was first um, uh, inspired by Terry Kavanaugh, okay. who is also a guest at this show. And if you liked the Clone Saga, it was... All the good stuff was me... <laughs> and if you hated the Clone Saga, it was all It Terry. was all him, yeah. of course. And, uh, but you know, what, what happened was, and Terry and I have slightly different recollections of this, but we were at an editorial meeting, mm -hmm. um, meaning the editors brought in the, the writers and the artists to discuss the future of the book. And we were really looking for something to change up the the direction of the, the Spider-Man titles at that point. And Terry had called me the night before the the meeting and he was actually he was much more familiar with the continuity than I was. And he described to me the original clone story that Jerry Conway had done. The one from the 70s? Yes. And discussed with me how it ended and all that and I thought it was a great idea that we revisited. Because one of the things we were wrestling with was how to make Spider-Man per be perceived as being younger. Because mm -hmm. he, at the time oh. that we came up with the story, he had a real job. He was married to a supermodel. They had a fancy apartment. It's like, what happened to the everyman right. uh, that, that we all grew up with? And they seem to do that. Marvel seems to do that with Spider-Man like once every like 10 years or so. I, I, will, I will say that what, what happens just across the board is that as writers, you start, you go into writing a character, and you you start turning the characters into yourself. Mm -hmm. And so that the, you know, the real problem, I think, the original mistake was, you know, having Spider-Man get married. So, oh, so so when you when you say that, do you mean like you know once because uh, I'm assuming you're married, so yes. once you became married, like or uh, and maybe well, not he was already married when I I started writing the book, uh -huh. but I think it happens in general. Okay, you start. And that just 
naturally starts aging the characters. Of course. So, you know, I was in my early 30s when I started writing Spider-Man stories. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard not to bring those early 30s sensibilities to the characters. I, you know, I shouldn't be writing about a 16-year-old, and right. I, or it wouldn't be it wouldn't be genuine. But you gotta you gotta find that that middle ground of writing the younger character with a younger voice. Okay. Now, I personally think my my period through writing Spider-Man, scripting it was he he was sounding like me. You know, mm-hmm. I, I you know all of the jokes that he said were my jokes. I can't. Okay. I'm not. I don't think of myself as a naturally funny writer, mm-hmm. but I, I I'm capable of. I, I like to think being somewhat humorous in right, person, right? But and so you bring that to to the page. Okay, okay. I mean, did you did you find yourself doing that with a lot of like? Is uh, another book that I I have a some fond memories. Like uh, it's a, it's definitely a huge like guilty pleasure of mine. I loved your Mutant X run. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yes. Well, that that was fun. That was really pure fun for me because okay. I got I was given the opportunity. To really write it as as a fanboy, yeah, um, and especially when it got really really bonkers near the end, yeah. <laughs> which and, I'm assuming yeah. was uh, intentional. You wanted oh, yes. it to, and okay. what what happened was the uh, you know I was writing X Factor before that, uh-huh. and the sales were not great, so we had decided to cancel the title, and then I came in with a proposal. I said, you know, I'd like. Um, Alex Summers to to die mm-hmm. at the end of the book, and the editors went, oh, you know, you know, because killing a character, a main character, you know, we always say you don't you don't ever close a door without opening, opening a window. window. Yes, and so I said, but yes, you're gonna kill him, but wait, <laughs> there there's more, <laughs> and that was the beginning of of Mutant X. I you know, which starts with I remember dying, mm-hmm. which I thought was such a great line at the time, <laughs> and. <clears throat> I, I just, um, uh, you know, I got, I was left alone because they didn't really expect the book to really do well. Right. And I, so I just got to explore stories I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, that was around that time where I stopped buying a lot of comics, but mm-hmm. I made sure to buy that. And a lot of it was because Havoc was my favorite character since yeah. I was a little kid. And well, it, I, I always liked him as well. Yes, yeah. yes. And, uh, but that's, yeah, that is so... So are you, uh, is there anything you're working on right now that yes. you'd like to plug? Sure. I, um, I think it was just announced. Uh, there's a five-issue Ghost Rider miniseries that will be coming out in May oh, of next cool. year. Is I'm it Danny Ketch or Johnny Blaze? It is Danny Ketch. Blaze will be in the book. It's all set in the time period that my original series... I, I see it as being somewhere betwe- between year one and year two. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm working on. Perfect. Well, thank you so much sure. for taking the time to talk with us. And uh, again, this is Howard Mackey. He doesn't like to be called a legend, but he kind of is. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Old man Mackey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Once again, thank you so much. Thanks for